Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Thank you, everyone who has joined us. I'm here with Marcus Grodi, and we're talking about his book, Life from Our Land, The Search for a Simpler Life in a Complex World from Ignatius Press. And I'm Catherine Jean Lopez from the National Review Institute, and I'm delighted that Ignatius and NRI can partner. And I'm so grateful, Marcus, for um, for you making the time. Um, you were, as we were going live, you were you were talking about your your beloved wife and who is spending spending this time with her her mother who is in her last hours. And so we join in prayer with with her and you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And that's such a fitting way to begin because your book is about the most important things. And actually, there's there's a line you say everything expressed in this book is being, abiding and loving in Christ every day at every present moment. And gosh, isn't that everything? Yeah, well. Catherine, thank you for this nice opportunity. I appreciate it. And of course, I'm very grateful to eat it to uh, Ignatius Press for uh, publishing the book. With a little hindsight, maybe a different name might have gotten more people to pick it up. But as you just mentioned, really, essence, it's about how by moving out onto the farm, it wasn't about this mandate to, if everybody wants to have the solution, you go to a rural life or you go to a farm, that wasn't the point. But but on, on the other hand, I think because of our experience on in our rural property, I learned aspects of the gospel that I may not have if I were in the crowded city. And so in essence, my book is really about living all aspects of the gospel. And I believe, as I mentioned in the book, that sometimes we're like frogs in a pot. You know, we're blind to how we get carried along in what's happening in our culture, even in our church. And, and we're blind to how it's moving us away from some really essential aspects of the gospel. And we have a tendency to pick and choose. There are aspects of the gospel that we like, you know, and there's other parts. Well, that's for somebody else. Well, I'm not sure that's what Jesus said. And so our life on the land, that's why we call it that. Again, the book is not about how to farm. (laughs) I couldn't write a book about how to farm, uh, even though I've tried for 20 some years. It's really about how in the time we've been given, you just mentioned my mother-in-law is probably going to be gone maybe by the end of this day. Don't know yet. In the time we've been given, how do we live faithfully? How do we live faithfully? not just through our criteria or through the criteria that's been pushed on us around this, this world, but are we really hearing Jesus and following in faith? I appreciate the part about you're not, this is not a manifesto for everyone to go find the most rural property. You, you talk about in the book, how this was an inheritance. This was not a plan that you made. And, and you joke um, that um, because you take a a beautifully kind of light approach to, and (laughs) self-deprecating to the most fundamental issues. But um, 
you know, I have actually behind me, this is a statue of Dorothy Day and she's sort of the closest oh. I can come to rural, you know, but yeah. she's a, a city girl, you know, she appreciated the need to, to go out and, and um, really encounter God in, 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 in the farm and in land. But, um, but she, she lived in the real world and dealt with people's deepest, most miserable problems. Goodness. And she's an example, I think of, of what you're getting at at this book. I mean, she, knew the gospel was hard and all encompassing. And um, that's that's not just, you know, going to mass on Sunday and, and maybe praying some prayers. Um, it's yeah. so um, rigorous, really. Yeah, we, this book is about detachment. It's about simplicity. It's about um, in the end of our life, being able to face Jesus face to face without embarrassment. Um, I do talk in there about when we're gone and our kids, grandkids are standing around our grave. What are they going to say about us? Were we loving? Or would, did we only think about ourselves? Were we always making excuses? Were we only living part of the faith and, uh, and being blind to the hard aspects of it? And as I mentioned in the book, um, what, what I try and talk about, if you, if you think that the way to live the gospel is I'm going to get out of the city right now in this time we're living, it's, you know, I understand if you want to get away from yeah, the city. Yeah, many, many people are leaving New York City, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and I live out in 35 acres of completely rural land. So I understand that. But if you think it's going to be simpler or more detached, no, I look at my farm, I see a thousand things I'll never get done. But what I talk about is what Christ called us to do. You need to do whether you're living on a, isolated on a farm or on the 21st floor of an apartment building in downtown Cleveland. Simplicity and following. I'll read you one of the most difficult things Jesus said. I'm going to read it now. The most difficult scriptures. It's not the most difficult, but it's one of them. Jesus said in Luke 14, 33, so therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now just think about that. What does that mean? What does that require? Majority of people say, well, that's for those religious over there or the Amish that live up the road from me. You know, that's for those folk. No, no, no. It says at the beginning of the paragraph that now great multitudes accompanied him and he turned and spoke to them. That's us. So what does it mean? If that's part of the gospel, what does it mean to renounce everything? To me, that's the reflection point, a little bit of this book. That's why I'm going to be turning 69 here in a couple of weeks and I'm trying to commit myself that whatever life I've got left, if I can at least try and live out all the things I've been saying for the past 69 years, writing in books, Lord, by your grace, please help me just to live it out so that I can stand before him without embarrassment. And isn't that what it comes down to, the um, the appreci appreciation that we are utterly weak and nothing without God's grace? Exactly. And, it, you know, I was thinking <clears throat> there's a, a formula that's been taught forever that uh, on how to understand your prayers. 
And it's the formula called ACTS. I don't know if you've heard of this. A-C-T-S. You begin with adoration. Then you go to confession. Then you go to thanksgiving. And then supplication. And that's the order. Now think about this. Of those four, which is the one that God most wants to hear from us? Now, we might say adoration, but that could be totally phony. Right? Right? I could be praising you, Catherine, for all, you know, only because I'm trying to win points. Certainly he wants to confess our, our confession. I'm sorry. And he wants us to offer up my mother-in-law. But what he wants is, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And that that's at the core. It's, a, it, it's this thanksgiving. And if we have that attitude, that's why I believe that the most foundational truth that we have to have is recognizing God as creator. Because if you take that out of the equation, everything else falls away. That's why in my book, I, I talk about St. Bonaventure's wonderful book on journey of the mind to God. Because St. Bonaventure says, when you go out into the world, look for the vestiges of God. His evidence is there. And when you see it, it draws you to give thanks to God and praise. Look, it, it, it's recognized. But if you don't see it, if you don't see that behind everything is a creator, it takes the underlying meaning away from everything. And we end up with the chaos we're in today. Um, we talk a lot at the, the National Review Institute about gratitude um, because Bill Buckley, who founded National Review, was yep. always talking about the patrimony, everything that was given to us as a gift. And he was always pointing to Bethlehem, even in ecumenical crowds, um, because there's there's such truth about creation there, you know, and even people who don't aren't Christian can appreciate the, the goodness that comes from that. Um, why, why religion is so essential, something we've We've lost a lot, of, not not in a particular way this this past pandemic year when the culture essentially said the government essentially said and in many ways we we let it happen said religion isn't essential such an opportunity that you know we're about to reach the one year point where the churches shut down for instance yeah to to reflect and thanks be to God for for Lent coming um next uh, next week a week from today. Um, real opportunity, I think, for people to reflect on, you know, a lot of us have, have joked that the whole year has seemed like one long Lent. And uh, gosh, you know, there's a truth in that. However, you know, I think the opportunity now is to say, OK, wait, let's do Lent for real now, you know, and really reflect. And I think your your book is a great opportunity to do that. And one of the, it is, the book is super practical. I didn't expect to, for it to be as practical as it was because I was worrying that I was going to have to feel guilty that I wasn't on a farm. <laughs> but one of your chapters is on stewardship. And yeah. I think that's a heart at the heart of this is, this is our expression of gratitude and Thanksgiving, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. At the very beginning of, of Scripture, it talks about us being created in the image of God. But what does it mean? What does that mean? And it, he also put Adam in the garden to tend it. And too often Christians, Christians have thought that means I have authority over it. I can do anything I want with it. I can abuse it. I can use it to make money, blah, blah, blah. blah. No. Being created in his image as a steward means we are to take care of this world the way he does. 
He's our model for taking care of this wonderful world. And he loves this world. But this world we recognize is, is, is a halfway place for us. We're not citizens here, but we, we should leave it at least as good as we found it. And especially when we got kids and grandkids, what, what, what are we leaving for? I mean, I mean, we could go into this a lot, but I mean, look at the national debt. What are we leaving for our grandkids? Excuse me, that's another issue, but it's a mess. It's a mess. What about this world? And 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 there's a, you got to be careful here because on the one hand, I think people get too much into almost a religion about this world. You know, save Mother Earth and all that. No, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, uh, I believe that as Paul writes in the first part of Romans is that the evidence for God is here in the world around us. Do we see it? And so we see that we recognize it's his handiwork. We are to be grateful for that. We are to be, as you said, uh, grateful. And then uh, uh, I believe that we'll, we'll stand before God for what we've done with this world that he's given to us. And, and, and particularly that's the little postage stamp where God has called us to live. And that's why you better make sure that this is what God called you to do before you move out to a 35-acre thing that you're going to be responsible for. <laughs> if not, you stay in that little studio apartment on the 15th floor of a, of a high-rise in Cleveland. Because even then, you're still responsible for what... You know, I remember when I was in seminary, and we were, we were talking about being missionaries to the world. And I remember my professor saying, yeah, you guys talk about being missionaries over there in Africa. That's all great. But if you're not a very good missionary here, you're not going to be a good missionary there. So stewardship is right here. And there's a word for that in the Catholic Church. It's called subsidiarity. It begins here. The most important relationship I have is with my wife. It begins there. Number two, my kids, my neighbors. You know, it goes out from there. That's why I think from a subsidiary standpoint, we, we have to be a good steward of what we do with our money. Where's it going? Where's God planted us to live? How do we take care of that? No, I'm not an economist. And I admit that in the book, Catherine, you know that. But, you know, uh, people are so concerned about at my age, you know, how am I going to take care of myself when I'm 75 and 80 and 90, you know, and have I set aside a gazillion dollars so I can live in the lifestyle to which I've been accustomed? And you flip it all over and you recognize, as, as Thomas Aquinas said, really, I mean, our, our needs are very small. Yeah. Our needs are very small. Do we have enough to eat, drink, got clothes, a house, our parish? Everything beyond that is it needs or wants. And we're caught up in a stream of everything about needs and wants is mixed up. And I, and Catherine, if you get a chance to read my book, you realize I'm not pointing fingers. Right. I, I am as guilty. I've been confronted by what I've discovered on the farm. And I pray that by grace, I can live that if anything, as a model to my kids and grandkids. I'll tell you, this, I'm going to joke, I'm jokingly, but I think, I think we're at the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And here's why. It has to do with the stuff that we got. Mm -hmm. When my great-grandparents died, they had what? My great-grandfather had one suit, one pair of shoes, mm -hmm. you know, a couple things. Right. 
then when they died, he passed those on to my great-grandfather. But then after the war, everybody started getting stuff. So when my grandfather died, all his stuff went to my mother. And my mother added 15 truckloads of stuff. Then when she died, I got all her stuff. My attic, a storage unit are full of Hummels, bears, you know, rec records, stuff. And then I'm adding to it. And when my kids die, they're going to get that stuff. And then we're not going to have enough room in this world for our stuff. Yeah. And is any of that necessary? We were caught up in, we're, it's, it's all about filling our lives with unnecessary things, mm -hmm. except the most important. And can we renounce it as, what does it mean to renounce? That means, is, is our stuff our God or is Jesus? Right. And, and that's how we are called to try and live that out, especially when we have a family. And I think it's it's the material stuff. It's also the noise, you know. Um, There's so many things we make idols of in our lives. And you mentioned at one point in the book um, how, uh, you know, there, there are consequences to the choices we make, the financial choices we make. As I was getting ready, I, I, I grabbed these heart earrings, which yeah. I'm sure were made by slave laborers in China. And yeah. that wasn't my intention, but why did I get those earrings? You know, are there better choices I could have made? Don't need the earrings in the first place, you know, and, and it's not to beat yourself up about it, but think, gosh, you know, the way I'm living isn't exactly the gospel. Even, even when I have kind of the best intentions, you know, this is why in many ways, maybe people don't like the book because it's not that I have a lot of answers, but it, it these aren't easy issues today because of the soup that we live in. You know, uh, buying earrings. Um, where I live in this little town we live in, it's 90, all the little town, all the little stores in it are 90% closed. If you went back just 60 years ago, the whole town was full of businesses, shoes, clothing, everything. Now they're all closed. They were closed down by a big store that sold everything. And then now a bigger store put that out of business. Now the internet. And so we have, we, we, and the point I'm saying is that the problem is that as, as all this has moved forward, emptying things in its path, we can't go back. I can't say, you know what, I'm going to invest all the money I have and open up a shoe store to my little town. It, it, I'll go bankrupt. Because everything has changed. And that's what, when I think about the soup that we're in, the culture we're in, we have so many questions that when my parents, when I was a little, little kid and my parents had their little list of debts, they could be pretty sure that all the money didn't go to fund abortions mm -hmm. and all those other things that businesses invest in now. Now, you can't own anything that doesn't also have something attached to it that's investing in something. And so how do we, even the computer that you guys, you and I are talking over, the internet that we're talking over. So Lord help us, what do we do? And that's why I read that verse, because it's a hard one. That's why I'm the founder of a group called the Coming Home Network International that helps non-Catholic Christians discover the beauty of the Catholic Church. Why do we do that? Because how do you answer these questions from scripture? I just read you a scripture, right? And it's not easy to answer. Well, how do I answer that? How do I know what's true in that? God, our Lord Jesus gave us a church. 
to help us understand how to apply that to our lives. The problem is we we might just listen to the easy things and we can't run away from the hard things because right. of the demands they put on our life. Well, and talking about grace, I I think, you know, now more than ever in, in our lifetimes, I think it's fair to say we have a personal appreciation of how essential the sacraments are. Yeah. I cannot live without the sacraments and I had to, and it was really ugly. <laughs> and, yes. um, yeah. Understanding that um, you make a point in the book that, you know, sort of the past you have to leave to God's mercy and the future, we don't know what it is. And I could right. die tomorrow, you know, not everyone right. wants to be 98, like your, your mother-in-law. And so living in the present moment faithfully um, in, in love with Christ um, is, is the most important thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it kind of gets down to how do you answer that question about renouncing everything? Well, there's that tension between, on the one hand, trying to live every day as if it's possibly our last day. Like I said, my mother-in-law, this might be her, this might be her last day. Now she's beyond the ability to think because of her her mental condition. Hey, we aren't. We aren't. We still have our faculties. At least I think I might have most of mine. So how do we live this day as if it's our last, while at the same time knowing that very likely the Lord might give me another year or five or ten that I have to somehow prepare for and be a good steward of for the sake of my wife? So it's a, you see that it's at both ends. Now, most of us live our lives as if I'm never going to die. All right. Five, ten, you know, that's all we focus on, as opposed to trying to have that balance between now and not yet. You know, it's it's that always. And I think that's great for people to reflect on and think about. I think that's what the Beatitudes were about. You know, I write about that in the book, that the Beatitudes are really a way of putting things in priority. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that the spiritual writers way back in the 4th, 5th, 6th century that talked about this really had something about setting priorities for our lives. I remember years ago, it was my first pilgrimage to Rome, and I was with a number of journalists. And one of them, who wasn't Catholic, but was intrigued, um, asked um, a cardinal we ran into um what what should she be thinking about? What should she be doing? And his advice was to be simple with God. And I think, you know, that's at the heart of what this book is about. Like, what are the essential things? Like you said, the Beatitudes. If we were all living the Beatitudes as our priority, if that's how our lives were ordered, we let God order our lives, the world would look different. And part of what I love about your book is one of the things that really concerns me right now is so many people are so caught up in who the president is, who the leaders are, the political, the celebrity, the culture, you know, you and your family, it's the most important thing, the choices you make. And you do a beautiful job of talking about since Valentine's Day is in a few days, what love actually is. It's not a feeling. We treat it as a feeling, but it's not. Yeah, there's a there's a, a, a statement in the catechism that actually comes from one of the documents of Vatican II that says, 
uh, in my own words, uh, a Catholic, even though a, a Catholic in good standing, can't be saved if you don't live in charity. It says that in the catechism, apart from charity. So that, you know, the danger of that is we got all the stuff we do and we, you know, we go through all the hoops of the sacraments and we do all that. But if we're not living in charity, we're not living in line with Christ. Our faith must be shown in how we love. And those are both important. Um, and we can be persecuted for righteousness sake, but they may not know we did it in the name of Jesus. Both are important. Both are important. And we are to be, as we say, we're lights in the world, right? We're, we're, we're salt of the earth. That's what we're called to be. Well, what if our salt is very good, Jesus said? Well, uh, that's why we have confession. That's, uh, I do think that that's why in the Beatitudes, you know, they've got eight or nine Beatitudes, depending on how you count them, but they begin with, Poverty of spirit, which is detachment from the world. They, they talk about um, uh, mourning. The saints called that mourning for our sins. Mm -hmm. Detachment from sin. Hum uh, you know, uh, meekness. Uh, that's detachment from self. So it begins there. Detachment from the world. Detachment from our sins. Detachment from self. And when we're able to, by grace, to detach ourselves from those things, we've made room in our heart for a hunger and a righteousness for the right things, for righteous. And then as a result of that, we realize uh, what God has done for us. Then we're motivated to be merciful. And then through mercy, our hearts are full. And then we're challenged to go out and make a difference, to be peacemakers. And then when that comes, we're persecuted. I mean, that's the Beatitudes. That's the journey of the Beatitudes. But it begins with detachment. And why don't people talk about the Beatitudes very much? Because the first one's often the hardest for us because of the soup we live in. We don't want to detach ourselves from all the stuff. Right, right. And I'm the worst. Me too, me too. I'm the worst. We can talk about it, right, Catherine? We can talk yeah. about it. We can, we can say great stuff. but Right, right. Oh, Lord. Well, that's one of the reasons I love your book so much because you're you're honest. You know, you're you're trying to work work through scripture in your life, and you're not pretending to be holier than thou and the perfect example of this. And the truth of the matter is, none of us are. And the more that we're honest about that, the better off everyone will be. And um, you know, it it, it is um. Yeah, you do a beautiful job of, of that in the book. And and I think it's in Hebrews where where it says to encourage each other while it's still today. And we only know we have right now, you know. And so it's so important that we do help one another along the way because it's a very, 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 very difficult world, as you said. Um, and the more we appreciate you, I think, you know, so many people are suffering um, you know, suicide has been up in the last year and it was up before that. And the more that we can share how our, you know, our understanding of scripture is 
all we have. Our understanding of God is all we have because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. And life isn't worth living if none of that is true, as as Fulton Sheen might say. But it is because this is all true. And I love in particular, Marcus, you know, first of all, I recommend this book, Life from Our Land, as, as a book for Lent. Um, it, it really is super practical. And I'm saying that as somebody who lives in the concrete of New York City. Um, so I'm not going to farm, but this book is helping me. And um, But Marcus, the work that you've done with the Coming Home Network and, and um, the Journey Home on EWTN is really such a gift. I know uh, people in, in Washington and in journalism and politics who, you know, it was a piece of their journey that they, they, they found the show and they just listened and they listened to people's conversion stories and something ran, rang true. And um, so the God really works with um, what you're doing and thanks be to God for that. Are there any parting thoughts? We only have a few more minutes that you have for people, um, you know, in, partially in, in recommending this book, which I think you should do with all, you can do with all humility um, because it really is an act of, of love um, and friendship and fellowship. And goodness knows we, we need more of that. And any advice for people, you know, as they're, they're going, going into this sort of second pandemic Lent, um, how can we do this differently? Well, I, I would, boy, I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, reconsider whether or not you believe in prayer. Now think about that. Do you believe that prayer makes a difference? Do you believe? Because if you do, then number one, you'll be praying more for your children. You'll be praying more for your spot. Do you believe it makes a difference? Praying for those that are in need, those who are suffering. Prayer. Number two, of course, the church. It's community. We're not saved alone. We're saved a part of a family. And a part of that three are these sacraments that God has given to us as this mysterious means of grace. Number four, as I think about my wife right now, standing by her mother, I'm telling you guys, you never know. Don't take anything for granted with people. Don't take it for granted. They might be gone tomorrow. You might be. You might find yourself all of a sudden in dementia. I don't think I'm in there yet, Catherine. You tell me. But you might not even realize it. And so are you able to do and believe what you need to do so that you hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to hear those words, don't you? You want to hear those words. Is he going to be? Is he going to say, "Wow, well done! Look at all that money you've got stuffed in that bank over there. All that good stuff you've got stuffed in that barn. I've got a barn full of stuff. All those over there. I got two tractors in that barn. Is that what God's going to say? Mm-hmm. Or did He say, "I knew you"? Remember that thing? All the people that Jesus said, "Lord, Lord." Not everybody who says that's going to make it, because He said, "I'm sorry." I didn't know you. I didn't know you. Could you imagine standing before God and him saying, uh, excuse me, have we have we talked before? Lord, help us. Lord, help us by your grace. 
Lord help us. There's no better way to end this conversation. Thank you so much, Marcus. And right, again, the book is Life from Our Land, The Search for a Simpler Life in a Complex World from Ignatius Press. And I'm Catherine Lopez, and thank you so much. And I thank Ignatius Press and NRI for sponsoring this. God bless you. Okay, same to you, Catherine. Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.